I'll have to keep that in mind. But I understand January is kind of a busy month for some of you here, so try to be considered on that. The title that I'd like to, that I have this morning is, What is that in thine hand? Taken from Exodus chapter 4, and you can turn there a while. I would like to mainly focus. Exodus 4, 2 is where I get this phrase from. And I'd like to focus on the rod of Moses mostly this morning. And I know there's different things you can think of or apply when it comes to a rod, I guess, in the Bible. And the angle that I'm thinking of this this rod of Moses is kind of in light of the way the way it was asked of Moses here, what is that in thine hand? And so I would like to liken the rod to maybe our abilities, just the ordinary things that we might have in our hands, something that we can use for the Lord. And just to give you a little bit of a preview, although I'm sure you're pretty well acquainted with Moses, um, first of all, I'd like to just flip back to Exodus 2 and read a couple verses. Exodus 2, I'd like to read verses 11 through 15. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens and he spied an Egyptian smiting an Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and he hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. And he said to him that did the wrong, wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. So Moses was, I believe, a high-ranking person in Egypt. No doubt, well-trained in the Egyptian military. I'm sure he had the best of schooling that was available probably at that time. But it would seem that somehow or the other, he knew or thought he knew somewhat of his purpose for the Israelites and viewed them as brethren. It says he went out to see his brethren. And he stuck up for them. Killed an Egyptian. So he thought probably to himself that he was going to help the Israelites somehow. He took matters in his own hands and he ended up in the wilderness hiding from Pharaoh. Just that fast he went from being a prince to being a shepherd. Something of which I'm pretty sure he did not know a whole lot about. He learned about the ways of the people and about life in the wilderness. Which I'm sure was very valuable to him in the future. Then in chapter 3 here, and I won't bother reading from it for sake of time, but God appeared to Moses in the bush and presented to him the case of the Israelites and what he would like Moses to do. 
Moses, of course, had many questions and doubts, which brings us to chapter 4. I'd like to read Exodus 4, verses 1 through 9 at this point. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand, and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand, and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. And the Lord said furthermore unto him, Put now thine hand into thy bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. And he said, Put thine hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom again, and plucked it out of his bosom. And behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, that thou shalt take of the water of the river and pour it upon the dry land. And the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. So he was given two signs. First of all, the primary one here was with the rod and this rod is was nothing fancy it was not a sword or some great weapon nevertheless a very common tool for a shepherd probably a critical tool in many times I believe and I don't know the Bible talks about a rod and a staff I'm not sure what the difference was there I would picture the rod as being straight and the staff as having the curve on the top I don't know if that's actually I think they're kind of interchangeable as to the rod and the staff but it was a very simple common tool nothing fancy so Moses was asked to take a look at this thing what is that you've got there what are you holding well it's a rod throw it down guess what it became a snake. And it says Moses fled from before it. I would have kind of liked to see that. This Moses running away from the snake. But when God told him to grab it by the tail, or, yeah, grab it by the tail, he did. It must have taken a bit of courage, I suppose, but he grabbed it. And it became a rod again. So that was the first sign. And the next one was leprosy. And leprosy, of course, was a most dreaded disease in those days with no known cure. So to have God cause it and heal it like that was a very powerful witness. But I'd like to go back to the rod. What is that in your hand? What is the rod that that you hold? You know, what might just be... Very ordinary things that you could use for God. And you probably are using. But just, I would like you to to think about that. Keep that in mind. It might be very ordinary for Gideon 
It was lamps and trumpets and a few good men, and they performed wonders. God was with them. Samson had the bone of a donkey, and he went on a great slaughter. Jonathan and his armor bearer had just a few weapons, and they went into the Philistines and did a lot for a couple men. David had only his little sling and five stones, but he actually only needed one stone. And so on and so forth. You see, a lot of things were not performed by great and extraordinary um, weapons, I guess you might say. So what is it in your hand? It might be a pen, maybe. Some people are good writers. Maybe it's a hammer or a wrench. A butcher knife. Uh, I don't know what you all here do for occupations. Maybe it's a hand on the wheel. Maybe you do a lot of driving and you can touch people in that way. Or for the moms, it might be that diaper bag that's full of wet ones. Seems like you go through way too many of them sometimes, but it's all worth something. It's in fact, a very important thing. Maybe a listening ear. Some people have a really good listening ear for other people's problems. And for some of us, that's not quite as easy. Maybe a good way of working with people. Maybe it's even your wallet. It's probably no secret that some people's wallets seem to stay a little fuller than others. Some, I don't know really why it works that way. Some people just have more of an ability in that way, maybe. And it seems that, that money is not an issue, maybe. Just, but I think that can be used as a rod in God's work, too. Basically, any ability we have, I think we can use to bless other people. And a little bit like Moses with his rod, sometimes if we throw something before God and let him use it, it might look to us kind of like a snake, and we might actually get a little scared of of what God can maybe do with this thing if we... Turn him loose. And I, well, I'll just pick on the right. I don't know if there's any writers here, but I have a sister-in-law that's a, a writer, and you probably know her, at least some of you. And I know from what she's said already that probably to a writer, their pen can be rather scary at times to think of what they might actually write for everybody to see. It can become a little scary sometimes. But fortunately for the rest of us who aren't writers, they seem to usually be courageous and take that pen by the tail and keep writing and and we get interesting products out of it. And I think that's kind of how it can be with any uh, anything we've got. We sometimes it might just seem like more than we can handle if we would actually let God use us to the fullest. Now, I would like to go on and read verses 10 through 17 now. Just took look a little bit at Moses' response here. Exodus 4, 10 through 17. And Moses said unto the Lord, 
O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth, or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. And he said, O my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of whom thou wilt send. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well, and also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. And when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. And thou shalt speak unto him, and put words in his mouth. And I will be with thy mouth, and with, with his mouth, and will teach you what ye shall do. And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people. And he shall be even he shall be to thee instead of a mouth, and thou shalt be to him instead of God. And thou shalt take this rod in thine hand, wherewith thou shalt do signs. So Moses thought that he had plenty of excuses to not do this thing. Or at least he had one really good excuse, he thought. And he used it to the point of of angering God with his Reluctance. But finally, God agreed to give him someone to help. You know, okay, I'll send your brother with you. He can talk better than you can. And I don't know that this reluctance of Moses is necessarily a good example for us, although I'm sure we can identify it with it many times. And God did give him someone to help, and I think he'll do the same for us if we... He gives us others to help. Sometimes we can't go it all on our own. A lot of times we can. But God will will help us and give us someone to help if that's what someone to help us if that's what we need. Now I'm going to come back and focus on this rod specifically here. I would like to go through some of the verses and just follow the rod that Moses had. I'd like to follow this rod a little bit. The first one would be in the same chapter, Exodus 4, and I'll run through these. Try to do it fairly quickly. Exodus 4, verse 20. And Moses took his wife and his sons and set them upon an ass, and he returned to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the rod of God in his hand. Then going on down to verses 30 and 31. And Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses, and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, and that he had looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. So, there it accomplished what God had intended it to as a sign to the children of Israel. Then going to chapter 7, Verses 10 through 12. And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, now the magicians of Egypt. They also did in like manner with their enchantments, for they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. And... Same chapter, verses 20 through 22. 
And Moses and Aaron did so as the Lord commanded. And he lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. And the fish that was in the river died. And the river stank. And the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river. And there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Neither did he hearken unto them as the Lord had said. Chapter 8, verses 5 through 7. And the Lord spake unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch forth thine hand with thy rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up upon the land of Egypt. And Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt. Verses 16 through 19. And the Lord said unto Moses, Say unto Aaron, Stretch out thy rod, and smite the dust of the land, that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod, and smote the dust of the earth, and it became lice in man. And in beasts, all the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments, to bring forth lice, but they could not. Then, wait, I actually was going to wait to read that one later. I got ahead of myself. Now I lost my place. Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. I wanted to pause there a little bit between those two. Did you ever wonder why or how the magicians were able to do the same? This, the last one I read here, the... They were not able to. But all the previous ones, the magicians did the same thing. Only their rods got eaten up. I don't know if they ever got their rods back or not. I kind of had to wonder. But, you know, how could the magicians do the same thing? One thing we can be certain of is that evidently God allowed it. He allowed them to do that. However, by whatever power it was that they did it, it was God allowed them to do that. But, ironically, they were only making the situation worse for themselves. I mean, they weren't reversing what Aaron was doing. They were only doing more of it. I mean, he brought up frogs. Why would they want to bring up more frogs? Just made things worse. They just... Did the same thing, just to be contrary, I guess, and try to try to show that they had power too. So they were able to do it there for a little while, but they only made the situation worse for themselves in attempting to imitate Aaron. And this is where I would like to insert a thought, and maybe I'm taking things a little bit out of context, but you know, I wonder if that's not a little bit like us when we try to imitate someone else. We look enviously on an ability or something that someone else can do and we attempt to, to imitate. Now, we can certainly learn from others, absolutely, and sometimes we can learn to do things that we thought we couldn't. Or, you know, we can improve. But if we try to just imitate someone else I think we just end up making the situation worse for ourselves it just to try to be someone else 
be like someone else if it's not your God-given ability to be that way. It just doesn't work very good. It just causes frustration. And in the end, it doesn't work. So the Egyptians now reached their limit. And they, from here on, they weren't able to do it anymore. Now I would like to continue with the verses going to chapter 9, 23 and 24. And Moses stretched forth his rod toward heaven. And the Lord sent thunder and hail. And the fire ran along upon the ground. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, very grievous, such as there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. Chapter 10, verses 13 and 14. And Moses stretched forth his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts, and the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt and rested in the coast of Egypt. Very grievous were they. Before them there were no locusts such, no such locusts as they, neither after them shall there be, shall be such. Then verse 22. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. In chapter 14, verses 15 and 16. The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel, that they go forward. But lift thou up thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And then verse 21. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And verse 27. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it. And the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Now, chapter 17. Just a couple more examples here. Uses of the rod before we come to the end of it. 17, I'd like to read verses 5 through 7. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee of the elders of Israel, and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thine hand, and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Then verses 8 through 13. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel and Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out. Fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the one on the other. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. 
Now, I don't know if I got quite all the instances where the rod, I probably didn't, it was most of them, where the rod was involved. I know there's one other one, and that is where Aaron's rod was the one that budded and the others didn't. But now I would like to go to Numbers 20. For what I believe is the last use of Moses' rod. And I don't profess to be a Bible scholar in the chronological order of things. And I I could be wrong on this, but from what I have checked into it, I think this is the last time Moses used his rod in this way that we have recorded. Numbers 20, verses 7 through 12. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the rod, and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So thou shalt give the congregation and the beast strength. No, he said, speak to the rock. And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, Because ye believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, Therefore, ye shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. It is a rather sad and sobering thought that this great rod, so much used by God and such a faithful companion to Moses all through his life, was the very device by which Moses banned himself from the promised land. This this great rod. And as I said, I could be wrong, but I think this is the last time that Moses performed anything miraculous with the rod. This rod, so much used by God, was the very device that Moses used in disobeying God and... Because of it, he could not enter the promised land. And you know, I think that is a sobering reminder to us that while our talents, our abilities, gifts, whatever you want to call them, are from God and certainly can be used and should be used for God's work, we can go too far and we can step beyond God's blessing of what he wants us to do. Moses had hit the rock before. Why not this time? Well, because God didn't tell him to hit the rock. He told him to speak to it. And it seems to me Moses was a little bit in a huffy state of mind maybe. Would kind of appear that way. Can't really blame him. But he smote the rock. 
in direct disobedience to God's word. The rock still gave water. It did. It still gave water. And that's a little bit interesting, too, I think. The rock gave water, but Moses was judged. And I think that is just a good reminder for us. If we get, you know... Now, some of us might say that we have no gifts or abilities. I've, I know we can tend to think that way, and I've known at least one person in my life who kind of had that view. And I do want to say one thing, that just because something is not, uh, how do I say it, is not um, spiritual in manner, I guess, or just because you maybe you feel like you don't have any Sunday morning gifts, so to speak, any Sunday morning abilities for church. Well, maybe so, maybe not. But just because something is not a, a Sunday morning gift doesn't mean that it's not valuable for use in God's kingdom. And maybe the Sunday morning gifts are sometimes the ones that are the easiest to get carried away with and go too far and get a little puffed up and take things in our own hands like Moses did with his rod. But I think that can happen in any situation. We can we can just get carried away and go too far. And I think God can still use that for other people maybe. I mean, the Israelites were blessed. The rock still gave water. They got their water. But Moses was judged. It's kind of a sobering thought. I'd like to mention just two things that I believe are a rod in the hand of each one here. One, I know is, because I'm sure you have plenty of them in your home, and that is that we have God's word, solid and unchanging, something we can go by and use to order our lives and the things we do. We have God's word. I don't doubt everybody here has that is a rod, so to speak, that we have. Second, probably most of us, if not all of us, have a rich heritage of Christian teaching. We, I don't know everybody here how you grew up, but most of us probably have a heritage of, we've been taught. We have a rich, we've had teaching. And I think that is another one that is a tremendous blessing. A rod in our hand, so to say. And both of these are a tremendous blessing. However, both can be misused. You can use God's word wrongly for your own benefit. It's not right, but it can be done. It can be misused. It'll never change it, what it means. The same with the blessings we might have had in the homes we grew up in. I think we can misuse it. So I would say that God's word and whatever teaching we received are not equal. Hopefully it was based on God's word. I'm sure it was. But God's word is supreme. And God's word is the ultimate rod, the thing we have 
by which to order our lives and guide us. And we will be judged by it as well in the end, by God's word and what we have done with it. So beyond these two things that we have in our hands to use to our advantage of working in God's kingdom, we all have our own individual talents and abilities. What that is in your hand, I'm not going to attempt to tell you because I probably don't know. I won't even try. May God bless you as you discover that and use it for his glory. Let's stand for prayer. Dear God, we thank you for your presence here with us this morning. We just thank you for the many blessings that you have given us. Thank you that we have your word to study into and examples in the past to learn from. We just pray that you would help us to use our lives and our abilities in a way for your in a way that honors you for your glory. We just pray that you would guide and direct us, give us wisdom in everything that we do. So pray a special blessing on the church here that you would be with them and bless them as they serve you in this community. Just help them to be a shining light for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thank you, Brother Kirby. What's in your hand this morning? Um, I thought it interesting that the very thing that he ran in fear from, he had to take by the tail, and then when he took it up, eventually he got carried away with it. Um, and how easy the things that we're fearful of, and then we think, well, let's just do this. And then it goes well, and then we get over zealous maybe in the doing. And God's saying, um, we were good with what was back here, not what was over there, what you had in mind. So, appreciate the thoughts today, God's Word, and the heritage.